You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, welcome to the show. One of my very favorite authors ever, someone who's work I've referenced about a billion times on this show, uh, Douglas Murray. Thanks for coming. Hey, it's great to be with you. Yeah, it's been a busy week for you. You've done Chris Williamson, Joe Rogan. I know. Some, I'm sure. Have you, do you talk to Lex Friedman at all? Haven't I don't, yet. I don't know if he's recording yeah. right now. He's, he's kind of a, an anomaly. Where's like, he based? He's here. But he goes off and does random shit sometimes and then kind of right. always seems to end up back here doing uh, recording shows. I think he must front load a bunch like record in advance and then and go do the stuff yeah. yeah um so you haven't been to austin in 20 years i no. it's uh what, what do you see that's different <laughs> i haven't seen enough yet i've only been here a couple of nights uh when i first came here yeah about 20 years ago i was researching my first book mm. and i thought it was one of the most beautiful civilized cities oh, but i gather that even the idea of that made you <laughs> i know uh, <laughs> oh it's good dude is it all right it's fine yeah just wipe it off um um, but yes, it's clearly uh, it's clearly just another of the American cities that's changed in some ways for the better and some ways for the bad. Right. I mean, this country is, it, it's it's pretty amazing the way in which cities rise and fall. It's pretty resilient in a lot of ways because I feel like uh, stupid shit will happen, right? And sure. then people just kind of move over to another area, and then stupid shit will happen. And then uh, yeah, yeah, but it's. We never seem to get the, um, I think, uh, I heard you say this in a conversation, I don't remember exactly when it was, but we solve problems so well in the West that we forget why we solved the problem in the first place. Sure. And then do away with the solution thinking that it's discriminatory or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or outdated or whatever. We cut and ourselves then, off from right. the branch we're sitting on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's actually the exact phrase you used. You, you're like sawing the branch yeah. off as you're sitting on it. And then you complain when you plumb it. Right, yeah. Blame someone else. Do you think that's like, uh, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't like to imply like malicious intent or anything. So sometimes I just like to think about why something like that may happen. Like, is it our need to solve problems and when we get too comfortable, we just create them for ourselves? Or what, what do you think that is? Well, you, you clearly have in, um, in Austin the San, San Franciscoization of the mm. city, which is happening in lots of American cities I've been to yeah, um, it is. in the last few years. I always thought it was a tragedy when it happened in San Francisco. But what I really mean, of course, is, is, is increased homelessness, obvious, like... Um, People with very bad mental illnesses yeah. uh, roaming the streets and presenting a danger to other people and themselves. Uh, uh, 
bits of town that used to be safe becoming very unsafe, and and the residents kind of accepting it at a very just you know like frog boiling level. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I mean, from the perspective of regular citizens, I suppose. Um, but it's typically people on the left that err too far towards compassion without any kind of you know. Always. I mean, you don't want to give. You don't want to get yourself into a situation, and this is from governing or like I was in the military from a leadership perspective. You want to be supportive and give guidance, but at some point you have to take the training wheels off, right? People have to learn to do these things on their Absolutely. own. Absolutely. The stabilizers need yeah. to be allowed off with people in their lives. Um, it's, a, it's a very hard conundrum, that, because mm-hmm. most people want to be compassionate to people who've had a bad right. lot, you know, and mm-hmm. and also we all know that you know, it could be us. I right, mean, that's yeah. one of the things I always think about homelessness. That, you know, mm. you sort of think you should, a reasonable attitude is, you know, that could be me if I made a few right. bad decisions. Or if, if I didn't have the family structure or support. If I didn't support, have family right. structure, if, or if I kicked that away, if I kicked yeah. away other people who wanted mm. to help me in my life, if I, you know, took advantage of them. I mm. mean, a lot of people end up on the streets, obviously have like addiction problems and they've, ruined all of the relationships in their lives and you know everyone's capable of doing that and so when we look at people who've done that we understandably look at it with a degree of um fear as well as right. pity mm. uh, it's the fear of what i call tramp fear you know mm. it could be me um so you want to you want to look after those people to any extent you can at the same time you you can end up in that position that san francisco got into many right. years ago where it's just basically piss taking by this point i mean right, yeah. there are people for whom it is actually a way of life, Li- it did, living it didn't, on the streets. It didn't just start with the with Newsom and Governor, no. although he was the mayor back then, right? He but, was, but then it went... I was reading San Francisco recently. Yeah, this, yeah. This is great. Yeah, yeah. It's a good book. And it shows I'm really how. glad he's... Uh, you know, you, I, I, we were talking before the show. I don't care for politicians very much. I think it's kind of like rooting for referees to <laughs> have a favorite uh, uh, politician, but... Uh, I am glad that he people like him get involved. Like when an intellectual gets yeah. involved, and I think, frankly, based on his career and all the criticism of him, if anyone is uncorruptible in American right. politics, it's probably going to be somebody like that because he doesn't really right. give a shit about sides. It's I just hope like so. Information, and, right? I mean, the book's important because he shows how Democrats and Republicans led to right. this stage. Yeah. And a, a dishonest actor or a sort of you know partisan hack wouldn't concede that the other side. Had or they'd concede the other side had done something wrong. Mm. They wouldn't concede that their own side had. But yeah, I mean, in America, it, it is really horrifying to me that there are so many cities that have gone that kind of way. Mm. And I mean, now people do seem to move again in the U.S. and obviously Austin's well one, over the last two one years for sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this this was kind of an interesting time, and I, I haven't bothered really to research this, but I have to assume there have been and other countries before throughout history uh periods where there was great tumult and people redistributed themselves across a, sure. a landscape somewhere i'm sure that that's it been tended the case. to happen because of lack of resources right um it's interesting in america that i mean it's in a way it's too many resources for people who haven't earned them yeah that's yeah that chris likes to say that williamson likes to say that there's a lot of people who are uh, famous now that didn't go through any of the paces that you normally would have to to earn fame. Right. Right. Well, that's... So you're like, un- you're kind of unprepared for it. But you're talking there about, I mean, the tiny top percentile of earnings. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the, this the, is the this problem is... in American cities is, is the 
bottom wedge mm. that that leftists in general think you can address by giving them more things. Right. And actually, I mean, they need well. There are several things. I mean, one is you need you need a helping hand mm. up in order to be able to stand on your own two feet. But you you also that can't be endless. I mean, this is like this is a quite the training harsh, wheels have to come off at right. some point. Yeah, it's a harsh sure. point to make, and people don't like it when I make it. But like at some point, also some mm. people are, are going to fail right. because they have been given chance after chance, mm-hmm. and that's what they do. Yeah, and I don't think society can infinitely protect people like that. Nor should it, right? I mean, just no. I mean, uh, Schellenberg does a really good job of. Uh, setting the data side by side. So Salt Lake City did a housing first, no strings situation. It lasted for about 18 months. And then I'd actually lived on the road where they did it. Mm. And uh, right across uh, where there's a bus station from the apartment complex I lived in in downtown Salt Lake City, it it looked like LA does now or San Francisco does now. It's just rows of homeless yeah, people, yeah, this yeah. open air drug stuff. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I walked outside of my apartment one day and there's a kid's bus stop right there as well. And some dude sitting on the bench with a needle about to go in his arm. And I just kicked the shit. I, I, not, I didn't beat him up, but I kicked his legs. I'm like, Hey, get the fuck out of here, man. What yeah, are you doing? Yeah. Like if you do what you want, yeah, fine, yeah, yeah. but do it away from these children. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, um, it's, I, 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 I tried since coming to the States last year, I've, come here regularly in mm. a long time. It's the first time I've lived here. So try to visit as many places as possible mm. that I wouldn't normally necessarily get to. And it is interesting that in America the, the, the cities go, go down in the same way. Mm. You know, um, I mean, and there are some really striking examples. I mean, I was in St. Louis a little while ago mm. and Ferguson. And, and mm. you know, these are places that have just had a really bad string of luck. For a while, yeah. For a lo- yeah, a long time. Especially now. it's the east side of St. Louis that's particularly bad, right? Yeah, I mean, they lost, like, they had 800,000 citizens in the 1960s, then they're now 300,000. That, that's not even the half of it, really. Wow. That's all. That's all post, what, I'm from St. Louis. Uh-huh. So that's all really like post after it fell. It was the fourth largest city in the United States that's in 1904. Right. And then it really kind of died I really lost its trajectory. It was going to be like Chicago, Houston, that type of, and it just like fell off a fucking cliff yeah. in, I'd say around the depression probably. Mm-hmm. And the world war post-world war two really post-world ended. war two with a big exodus. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. That's really bizarre yeah, that's for a major American city. Well, you, with, yeah. Cause you have all the great infrastructure. The state, mm-hmm. It's still big, you know, grand city halls and things mm-hmm. like that. And, and then this, these just streets and streets of, Empty houses. I mean, I, I mean, I, and I haven't, I haven't actually seen that in any European city. Mm. I mean, God, European cities have their own problems, but, but not that one. Yeah, you know. just like an abandoned. I mean, that's more of like yeah. a, an Eastern China seaboard kind of situation. Is that right? Like some of the towns they built for industry there just never took off, and now there's uh, like hundred floor high rise up like condos right. and stuff that are abandoned. But I it's like, very bizarre. I like the way in America in which people do move around when mm. things don't work, though. I mean, I do admire that. There is a... It's a very Oregon Trail-style spirit. About, yeah. Like, I mean, some years ago, there was a story in the UK um, about a... It was a BBC story about mm. a, there was a benefits cut that the right. then Conservative government were instituting. And, you know, the BBC, the national broadcaster, wanted to show what a terrible effect this would have on mm. people. And the, unfortunately for them, the story they chose was of a man in Wales who complained that 
this would mean that he would have his household budget for the week would be restricted to the following extent. And he listed what he bought in an average week, mm. and it included, it basically included enough beer to get really smashed each night. <laughs> Um, uh, cigarettes most of the week until he ran out of the money for the cigarettes right. and therefore would buy rolling tobacco. And like he listed all these things and said, well, you know, and it's not my fault because like, the industry left the town. It's not my fault I don't have a job. Right. And it was very funny because the BBC like, ran mm. this story expecting everyone to be like, filled with pity for this person. Mm. <laughs> the great British public were just slamming yeah. this guy. like, get off your ass go to another place and yeah. get a job. I mean, we're not, we, this isn't, we're not in uh, feudalist no. England anymore. No. Like, you can leave. So you can leave. Yeah. But, the, but it is true that like in, in countries like Britain and France, you, if, if the industry goes, people do stay and they are supported. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's interesting. And in America, there is definitely that kind of, look, the industry's gone, I'm going to have to move. And people do that all the time. Right. I love that spirit. Yeah. I love uh, that spirit. But I, I feel like, uh, and I feel like the older world is a little bit more attached to where they came from, right? Like, it, yes, it's, there is a bit of that. I, yes, people in America have always kind of moved around. That's right. Uh, but you're where are you from? And I was born in London. Which yeah. what borough of London? I was brought up in West London. West yeah. London. So our SW six. Yeah. Which who's your who's your football Further. team? Uh, my local football team was is Brentford. Mm. Um, who it used to be a completely impossible prospect. Mm. People have never heard of it. Well, they which, which league the is it? Is it in, they were in the third division. Oh, boy. And now they're in the first. Oh, um, shit. I know. It's so they're one success, step away, huh? But unfortunately, I've never followed them with enough interest to be able to claim any responsibility myself. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> it's, there's a, we call that a T-shirt fan. Right. Although uh, it also implies that it's like a, a university that you're a fan of that you didn't go to. Sure. That's another implication. Oh, God, that was, by the way, sorry to stick on St. Louis. That was the other thing. The, the, the team left. Oh, yeah. That, and that, I didn't know that could happen in American cities. But the, uh, yeah, the, the Rams moved to Los Angeles where nobody gives a fuck about football. Right. It's money, just, right? Like, that seemed to me to be the ultimate fuck you. Fuck yeah. you to a city. It was like, if you, if, if you have a stadium built for a team and the team leaves the city yeah. and then you just got an empty stadium, that's yeah. like, that is... I just thought that was the ultimate yeah, it's humiliation. Like the, it's like the just, ruins of a city. It's just a at that horrible. Point. At least if you've got a sports team, like you well, still they still have baseball and, and hockey. hockey. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. when they left too, they, they the Rams' reason for leaving was like this place. They pretty much were like, literally, this place is a shithole. We can't make money here. It's just crime and poverty. We got to go. Well, they're not wrong about that. <laughs> Sorry, I mean that's kind of the way it is, and it's like. Uh, one of the big themes of your book that you're here to talk about, um, war, the war in the West, and I would say it's a big theme in most of your work, is that people just simply aren't honest about things anymore. Sure. Um, there, is, there, there are these cancers that pop up in American cities very frequently that are intentionally misdiagnosed, in my right. opinion, right? What sort of thing? Uh, so let's say NBC News... This morning or last night, published a report um, that gun violence is now the number one killer of young American, like right. Americans under 18, basically. Um, <clears throat> the part that they left out was which children, sure. right? And, of course, they're hoping the audience will assume that it's school shootings and shit like that yeah, yeah, because yeah. it fits their anti 
gone narrative and the reality is that it's mostly black children yeah. in liberal run cities. It's yeah. it's the same thing with the knife crime thing in London. Yeah. They say they say an increase in knife crime. And what they mean is an increase in black on black knife crime between rival gangs fighting for similar corners. Right. It's the same thing. I mean yeah, it's it's been a big thing I've written about it has just been mm. this on issue after issue, the desire of the media, politicians mm-hmm. and others to kind of find a narrative, stick with it and not budge. And I've seen them do it, particularly politicians mm. up close. And you, like, you, you put it to them and mm. they just cannot move. It's, be- they, it's they, beyond cognitive dissonance. Like, oh, yeah, no, no, no one can exist like that permanently and really feel like they're honest. Well, I, 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 there's no way, right? Yeah, and partly it's because if... There are problems, and this probably happens in our, in our lives as well, but there are problems which are, you know, are your fault, mm-hmm. which you just are never going to be able to concede. Right. Well, but I mean, Peterson, you, that's why Peterson lately for the last three or four months has been on that same kick. Identify one thing that you're doing wrong right now and then right. figure out how to do it better or do it right. That's a, like you're, you're attacking people. Right. People are like, oh, what, what does he mean by that? But the essence is what you're saying. Yeah. Like challenge yourself and... With the gun thing, it's been it's it's been it's not just racial stuff as well. It's also mental health, right? So sixty seven percent of gun deaths in America are suicide. Yeah, that is if sixty seven percent of any group of something was one thing, that would be the critical identifier of that group. Yeah, yeah. But the gun is the the boogeyman here, right? Sure. Um, well, and I and I'm very suspicious of any government or movement that tries to disarm its population for obvious reasons. Well, yeah, I mean, this country's history is unique in that mm. respect. Really, I mean, I don't think there's any other country like America no. that has that attitude. Uh, it, it's the of all the things that America got right. I think that's probably one of the more important ones. It's, um, it's interesting when the citizenry um, feel powerful. Mm. Um, and they don't just feel as though they're people to whom the government can do whatever the government wants to do. Right. And then... Uh, uh, it's a different mindset completely. Yeah. yeah. The other part of the gun thing is uh, 69% of gun deaths are with handguns, right? right? Not rifles, right. assault rifles or whatever. Why is that? Uh, because handguns are everywhere, right? But, it is the, but it's also the one that is more difficult to get. So it, Yeah, right. And... Right. and, and uh, most gun crime, I think 85% of gun crime is committed with a weapon obtained illegally as well. So none of these, yeah. they, they don't want to talk about mental health, right? And it's, I think it's kind of like when you're walking down the street and you see something happen, it's like the bystander effect. If you pay attention to that, if you look at it, then now you're responsible for fixing it. And it's easier just to blinders, obfuscate yeah, yourself. From, that's, that's what I think the left citizenry does. But the politicians are clearly angling towards one thing. Um, they do. It's, it's this thing of fixing on one explanation for mm. everything. Um, I mean, you mentioned mental health, for instance. And, and I mean, like, what are you going to do about mental health? Right. I, like, everyone's got mental health, as we now call mm-hmm. it. Like, we've all got health. Um, everyone's mental health could break down, again, if, you know, it's often through no fault of their own. 
Um, what does society do about that? Can it make mm. sure that no, that is never the case? Well, there's um, no any kind of zero policy leads to authoritarianism, right? Like you can't have that sure. in anything. Even in medicine, which we're seeing in China, zero COVID policy is insane. Unbelievable. That's insane, right? Like you, it, 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 Jesus, those pictures from uh, Shanghai. Or the video of the people screaming and jumping yeah. out of windows and shit. That, that, that's unbelievable. That's pretty rough. And that already, I don't know if you've ever been to Shanghai, but I mean, Shanghai already is like Blade Runner. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 very bizarre. Yeah, but that's what people fix on. They fix on a, an explanation like that, and you think, well, what would you do to even address mm. that? Well, and I like what uh, Jonathan Hayden and Greg Lukanoff say: like, prepare yeah. the road, or prepare your children for the road, not the road for your children, because you can't Absolutely. you can't do the Absolutely. latter. Well, you can do it, and then there'll be a terrible road crash. I mean, yeah, at some point, right? You run it's, out it, of road. That that doesn't that yeah. doesn't scale to any reasonable no. degree. Um, no, I mean, that's why, I mean, in a way, one of the most important things that I think we need to inject into societies like ours is what we used to call stoicism. Mm. I mean, it's, it's frankly, is, it's, it's, I mean... Little Marcus Aurelius. Well, yeah, I mean, our age has been very, for quite a long time, mm. we have had the kind of, even before the latest bout, the kind of disnification of our brains, where... Everyone but, is a potential prince or princess. Right. Everyone is a special magical being, mm. um, and and don't you think that leads to like just benighted age? It's like it ultimately leads to nihilism, in my opinion. Well, it's narcissism first. First, for sure, yeah. Um, but then and, at some point, your brain figures out that you're just a piece of shit, like well, everybody else. Yeah, right? not that special. I mean, yeah. that's one of the. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why, as I say, this this kind of narcissism, nihilism thing in America has been allowed to run so long because, mm. and so far, because, it's, as I say, stoicism works because it just confront, it confronts the facts of life, tells them to you in mm. advance, and tells you there's nothing you can do about these things. You know, you're born and you'll die, right. and these are the kind of options in the middle. And um, at least you know that, and you're not going to go kicking and screaming. Yeah. Carl Sagan used to say, uh, it's far better for me to see the universe as it is rather than persist in delusion, regardless of how gratifying it might be. Well, that's... That's a scientist saying that I need data to do things. Well, there's also, I mean, mean, in a way, when I mean, I hate talking about right-left kind of things these days because Mm. there's not that clear a difference as there used to be at times in the past. But that having been said, um, there's quite a big left-right difference now in, well, there has been for a long time in in, in attitude, Mm. in that this left, the left has tended to have this attitude for a long time of the meaning of life will be found in struggle and political struggle and political activism and doing things and getting to places. It's a very Buddhist viewpoint, right? Well, is it? To struggle against the world and to den- deny yourself simple pleasures and things like that. Uh, it, it, maybe. I mean, I hadn't thought of that at that length, but, but that, that sort of pol- engage in activism that will give your life meaning. Right. Um, ignores the thing that Many people on the right, not all, but many people on the right have as an instinct, which is you also have to make peace with the world as right. you find it. You know, I mean, a certain amount of, mm-hmm. of if you see injustice, sure, try to address right. it. But also you've got to find a way to have peace with the world as you find it. It's not, it's not endlessly possible to just struggle and not be really very unhappy. Well, I don't think so. You, you're, you're a student of uh, pretty much everything politics and culture, I would say, in the West. And um, 
it's it's like this weird uh shift for the american left to now just have completely abandoned the working class in america right right for all of these wedge social issues it doesn't make sure. any sense if you if you just if you're uninitiated it doesn't make any sense but i think it's the same thing that happened with race the entire industry of social justice industry was created to do something right good right mm-hmm. you know what sure. i mean had a to, purpose at the, like, the time yeah it was a movement a genuine movement towards racial equality and it was kind of you know still had momentum from the late 19th early 20th century labor movement sure. and all that stuff um but being th- this is what happens with certain institutions from time to time they're their purpose gets reduced to just propagating their own existence at oh, some point. You know things I mean? like that. Charities yeah. as well. You know, good yeah. causes. So fearful they're going to lose their budget or whatever. Yeah, and they'll lose their pensions and their, yeah. and their salary. They're paying a mortgage. So it's like uh, they create a golem behind every curtain, whether one yeah. exists or not. And, and, and it's hard for outsiders sometimes to notice that's what's going on. Right. Um, and then the purpose becomes, like, I've, I've been really close to high-level organized labor. Like, I worked campaigns during the uh the wisconsin governor recall back in the day and i worked some stuff in california as well in the bay area just on the other side of what i actually believed to see what it was like you know what i mean what's the Uh, thing uh well i i am a i'm not apolitical but i don't (sighs) all politicians uh are cunts that's a brand that i own right i have the trademark for that actually fine brand yeah uh it, hold on to that. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't care for these folks very much. I just wanted to see up close what it was like, and it's just um, social ladder climbers, right? It's like what you described, which is, be, and it's what I'm getting at. People can't be content with. There's no end state that they would be comfortable with. The activism is the point. It's the point. So winning the fight isn't the point. Getting paid to fight it is the point for a lot of these people, especially in organized labor. Have you ever come across a politician you, you admired? Uh, there's a dog that got elected mayor of a city in like Montana or some shit, so I'm into that. <laughs> a politician that I admire. Um, How about including the dead? Um, uh, I liked Eisenhower, mm-hmm. right? He was mm-hmm. a conservative guy. Um, and at the time, if you, if you recall, Republicans in the middle of the century, actually in the, from, from the late 19th century on with Monroe Doctrine, were pretty anti-interventionalist, right? Sure. And uh, kind of got back to that again. It's so, it's so interesting to me. Like, I know the impact that George W. Bush and Dick Cheney had, but all of the wars, the major wars that we were in in the 20th century America were all begun by Democrats, Right whether we got dragged into one or started the Vietnam War or whatever, it was never a Republican that started any of those conflicts, right. including yeah, yeah, yeah. the Korean War, Vietnam, both world wars, um, and all the stuff that went on in Somalia and Iraq in yeah, the 90s yeah. for the most part, except for George H.W. Bush, yeah. obviously, in the Gulf War. That was the only yeah. outlier. So he very clearly had those principles. That's Eisenhower. But still... Uh, he followed up and, and fully funded the GI Bill and the VA home loan and mm-hmm. stuff like that, which a lot of people credit for building the middle class in the country. Mm-hmm. Not exactly a conservative thing to do, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also helped build the interstate highway system, right? Mm-hmm. 
um, not the most conservative thing to do, I guess, uh, uh, to to expand the government, spend a bunch of people's money. Well, there's no reason why it couldn't be. I mean, right. you know, it's it's viewed by people now. That's because the mm. right and left has ended up in this bizarre position where the right thinks, or parts of the right think, you should spend no money on infrastructure. Right, yeah. So, well, you can see the results of that yeah. across America. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, but he had, um, I guess, the temerity to be a conservative in a pretty interesting political climate. The Red Scare had just kind of begun yeah, you know, when yeah, he took yeah. over um, and did whatever he wanted to anyways and did it pretty well and was well-respected. So, yeah, him. I think he's also yeah. the last conservative president America's had, frankly. I don't, I don't really, uh, I don't buy, like Nixon was pretty conservative, but he's a total yeah. criminal, right? Uh, yeah, he had his moments. Yeah. Reagan, taxes were raised five out of the eight years. He tripled the national debt. Uh, so for you, those are the main things, like the well, that, non-intervention. The, the intervention drug war stuff that he did as well. Like, I understand that a lot of the economic situation he was in was fallout from uh, rollback during the Cold War, right? Just spending, outspending sure. the Russians and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that was important. I don't know. Honestly, everybody thought the world was going to end, you know, yeah. but I, that to me is not conservative. And then, of course, George W. Bush presided over the largest expansion of the federal government history sure. and started two living wars. With. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I want to know, like, what does it mean from your perspective to be a conservative in, in 2022? Like, what does that mean now? I mean, it's, it's just going to mean lots of different things. Uh, and it, and the, the, one of the strange things about conservatism is that, of course, it means different things in different places and countries. I mean, Americans are conserving something different from mm. what people are conserving in, say, Sweden or mm. Australia. Um, one of the things that often happens in our time is the confusion that comes about when you realize that um, you, you, you're a different culture from even people that look quite similar, right. or seem quite similar as societies. Uh, a lot of people have been amazed at what the Australian citizenry are willing to put up with, but uh, like they seem to be like America and Britain, but they're not. They they yeah. they have a very different uh, view about government. I saw quite a few people say it's not that big a deal, and like that is a big deal. To that me. wouldn't be yeah. That would be a big deal among Americans, including on the right. In Australia, it's less of one because they have a different attitude towards government, mm. much less distrust towards government. And um, but my point is, is that it, it's it's always an advantage of the left that, that that they tend to have the same set of policies in lockstep mm. everywhere around the world, you know the following claims and and so the right is always at a slight disadvantage in that it doesn't have that same policy because it doesn't mm. have the same things it's trying to conserve. I'm and in America obviously there's a proper and vibrant right wing, mm. uh, which there isn't in every country, and there are just masses of differences within that. I've realised that more and more as I've been here. That uh, and it's quite hard for an outsider to realize mm. just how many different like slices of this there are. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, and and of course, the main I suppose the main difference that goes on on the right in America is: Are you somebody whose aim is to slow down the march of what the left is trying to achieve, right? Or to do another game completely, right? I mean, it does seem like uh, the American right has been on its heels for a while. Right. Yeah, I think uh, that's true. Like, which they're, is they're why on a lot of people, they're on defense most of the time. Yeah, which is why a lot of people liked Trump because he mm. played offense. Yeah, and um, and they liked that. What were and your not thoughts? Many conservatives have. What were your thoughts about Trump? Oh, gee, I um, <laughs> I spent 
most of his presidency trying not to talk about him, mm. mainly because everybody in the world yeah. has a view. Um, I think it's a very m mixed bag. Mm. I, I never liked him particularly as an individual. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, I never thought he was a person who you'd want to look up to particularly. Mm. Um, I didn't think he was a great role model. Um, right. I thought that since he was someone who had played the game of, between the parties for a long time, mm. there was a high possibility it was all quite cynical. Mm. Um, I thought that he had extraordinary bravery and courage to do things that other people wouldn't do mm. or would say they would do and then just wouldn't. Right. At the same time... He seemed to me to be lazy on actually getting stuff done and the details. And he complained that it was because of other people. But mm. to a great extent, it was his own fault. Right. Uh, you know, you've got two years where you've got the House and mm. Senate. You, you, there's no excuse. Uh, positions he didn't fill, couldn't fill. Um, because of that central thing, he had problems getting people to come on board because people didn't trust him. Mm. And then you saw time and again why that was the case, because, you know, the people who did go out and bat for him very often discovered they'd been left alone, abandoned by him. So, you know, it's, it's a very mixed bag. And um, the main thing, though, is that, I mean, personally, I wanted to not spend four years only thinking about Donald Trump. Because in my experience, both of right and left, it deranged a lot of people in this country. Yeah, uh, uh, Schellenberger said the same, that uh, he intentionally leaves politicians' names out of all of his books because when smart people hear the words Hillary Clinton or uh, Donald Trump, they get stupid really fast. I think that's true. And um, what I put it a little while ago, there was a conservative conference, and I said... Uh, I hate the fact that everyone on stage has to pretend to know less than they know about Donald Trump. Right, yeah. You know, yeah. It's just, it's not a happy situation mm -hmm. to be in. Why can't you admit the pitfalls and the positives? Right. Uh, it's because they've decided which gang they're in and they just want to stick with the story. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like some weird confluence between tribalism and confirmation bias at this point. Like everything yeah. gets filtered through that lens. And you, I also, do, you, do you think that's like... Mm -hmm moral cowardice or do you think it's uh i mean to some degree it's got to be that but also do you think it's the amount of information miss dis or actual um, that people are inundated with or is it like well if you're going to gain power you do have to be organized right and that includes message organization mm -hmm. uh you have to have collective responsibility in government mm -hmm. and that trickles down to the party as well and so no i mean it's not just cowardice people. You know, you, you see it in, like, press spokespeople's faces and things, as you know. You see the same thing with Biden's people. Like, you wish they could just stand up there and say, look, you know, it's not ideal, the guy we've got, but right. you know, he's president and mm. this is what he's done today. Um, but, of course, they couldn't do that because they, they couldn't stay in their job. Yeah. And so you have this terrible thing where everyone sitting, watching the person at the podium knows that the person at the podium knows more than they're able to say, mm. and they can't say it. And that, I think that's one of the reasons why, that's one of the causes of great cynicism about politics. Mm. Um, like why didn't you just admit it? Right. You know, like he, miss, you know, he didn't misspeak. He didn't know what he was talking about. He, yeah. He'd forgotten. 
Or he said uh, something stupid. He said something like, stupid. We've all I, done it. You know, yeah, like if I, I actually did the math on this, if I say, if 1% of all the stuff I say is stupid, then I do seven minutes a week of me on camera saying stupid shit. <laughs> That's not a good... 1% doesn't sound like a lot, but when it accrues <laughs> when over When you time. add it up. Yeah. That's right. I mean, you know, the sort of shaking hands with people who aren't there mm. and stuff. Uh, you, can, you can do that with everyone. Mm. I mean, it's sort of unfair, but you, you can. You can edit anyone. Yeah, uh, to sure. look stupid, but then there is also the problem of people who are not capable of fulfilling their office. It, it, and it's—I mean, it feels like um, that quote from 1984. Sometimes, where in the end, the party will ask you to believe, or the, in the end, the party will tell you that two plus two equals five, and you'll have to believe it. And that that whole didn't, sentence after that. Didn't you love that? I, I write about this in the new book, but didn't you love it when? There was that bit of the left online that was actually trying to do, trying to persuade people that two it's, plus two equals five. It's like the OK symbol. Like yeah, some yeah, yeah. dummies on 4chan made it up right. literally just to troll the left and they fell for it immediately and people lost their jobs. Yeah, there's, for a, that. there's a guy who, who I write about who, on, the who Jeopardy was on Jeopardy, guy, yeah. you know, the, the, like, who does the three fingers. And I was like, ah. Before you know it, every, every contestant of the last five years signed a joint letter yeah. denouncing the three finger guy <laughs> who then had to explain that he wasn't a closet Nazi giving out white supremacist salutes. Yeah, you it's know. insane. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of there's, there's a massive amount of that going on. There's so is it cowardice or laziness or stupidity that leads to this uh, proclivity for people to accept what they're told and parrot and act on it immediately without any evidence. So you talk about it a lot in yeah. uh, in uh, the madness of crowds about yes. the trans issue and how it's definitely not settled science. Sure, but people are being ta- spoken to and prosecuted and policies being made as if it was. Oh yeah, no, I won't allow. Like, I won't allow the phrase trans child. Yeah, no, that's, no, no. Not, that's not a thing. There's no such thing no. as a trans child. No. And, um, like a Republican child. Yeah, I mean... It's, or something it's, like... Well, I think no, Sam, it's infinitely worse than that. I, I think, think Sam I, Harris made that point back in the day. Like, you wouldn't call... You, you would never hear of Muslim math or uh, right. a Republican child, but you hear Christian child or Muslim child. But um, trans child is so much worse because... Well, the Christian ch- child or Muslim child might grow up to be a different religion or of no mm. religion or you know, lose faith, faith in the whole thing. A uh, trans child is something that is, that is be, going to be operated upon and drugged Literally. by adults Literally, yeah. and experimented upon. And then mm. if, if, the, if said child decides as an adult that's wrong... Well, that's unfortunate because somebody flayed your arm and tried to stick something looking like a penis in your abdomen. Yes. And, and that's not optimal, mm. you know. What, what do you think it is that's, that's happening right now psychologically with people? Like, why are so many people willing to uh, just accept that? Is it they're afraid of the social consequences or the work employment consequences, or is it something deeper? There's, there's one very deep thing that's going on underneath everything in our time, which is that we've lost all of our main stories. Mm. And that cannot, I, I can't emphasize this enough. This doesn't mean, and I'm not saying that that means that absolutely everybody has lost their stories. Mm. I'm saying as a society, America, much more advanced Europe, has lost connection with its story. Mm. And that's on several levels now. There's the religious level, and again, I, I'm, 
I should stress, I'm saying this as a non-believer. I'm making it as an observation. Mm. I have no vested interest, as it were. But if you had a, be a belief in a religion that cohered society and gave you a vision of what you were meant to do, that was a very useful thing to have. And if you lose it, you are going to lose something very significant from your society. Right. And you're going to have to do something else. Now, here's, here's the other rider in America. And what I do a lot about in the war in the West is you've also, you've also begun to lose your national story. Right. Now, that, that on top of the religious one, that is fatal. Well, it's like we're not just losing the national story. It's getting replaced with a different story. So, so, so this is my point. You begin by losing your story. Mm. As you lose your story, another story has to come right. in. Has to come in. Mm. So most countries that have lost the Christian ethic have got the multiculturalism mm. ethic as a replacement. Right. Okay? Mm. Diversity is our strength. Um, you know, no, it's not. Diversity is a mixed bag. Right, yeah, like, yeah. There are pros, like anything else, right? Yeah, like there are pros and cons. Yeah. As I said in The Strange Death of Europe, you know, we've got a bit more gang rape and beheading than we used to have, but on the plus side, there's a wider range of cuisine. <laughs> so it swings around about us. And, um, I mean... Very good. Uh, but you... The point is, is, is that we've decided, no, it's, it's only a good thing. Right. So then when somebody gets murdered, say, by somebody who shouldn't be in your country, you say, but diversity. All right, give me a moment, Douglas, and I will read this advertisement. We'll get back into this conversation right now. GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base for everything else. Everything else, you get 30% off using the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash Drinker Bros. Um, I would recommend getting the adjustable base. It's dope. You can set yourself up. You can vibrate. Uh, the, uh, the king size, you get two twin adjustable bases so you can move you know, your side up or not. Or that you can, there's another one they, where it's two uh, twin or full-size adjustable bases and two mattresses, right? So you can move independently from... Whomever sleeping next to you, whether it's your uh, wife or dog or some fat chick you met at the bar. Uh, for everything else, 30% off. Use the code Drinker Bros at ghostbed.com forward slash Drinker Bros. You get a mattress for like 35 bucks a month. They got zero down, zero financing plan for up to 60 months. Um, <clears throat> they've got all these new products. They're working on the dog beds. We talked to uh, the CEO about it a couple weeks ago. They're working on the dog beds. Keep an eye out for them later this year. But for now, get those pillows. They're the best in the world. Uh, and they get the, the weighted blanket, all kinds of cool stuff. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinker bros and get them deals. Right. And the, but, but there's still, there's still the human requirement to explain that. So the only acceptable explanation is to blame it on England, not on well, the person or wh no, wherever you no, are. Right? You, you just ignore that the problem is more complex than you're pretending mm. because it's a faith like diversity in modern Western countries has become a, an article of faith. Sure. Diversity, inclusivity, mm. equity, these are... Uh, I like the way you rearrange the order to make it more die. appropriate, yeah, because yes. that's exactly what it is. The diversity, I think it was Jordan who did that first, but the mm. diversity, inclusion, equity thing has become the foundation faith. Mm. And it's come in, at a, at, at, of course it would, something has to fill up that void. Right. But what I hate about it in America is that the American story that you had and that some people still have was a story about heroism. Mm. It was a story of improvement, including mm. self-improvement. 
That's why, and that's, this is why one of the things I focus on in, in the war in the West is the way in which our history has been assaulted. Mm -hmm. Because there is now not a damn hero we had that hasn't been taken down. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't need to tell you, but in America, all the founding fathers have been rewritten. Oh, yeah. All of them. Yeah, yeah. You go from arguably a century ago, people didn't particularly know that Thomas Jefferson had slaves to that's the one thing everyone knows about Thomas right. Jefferson. Not the Declaration of Independence. Not the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Um, you have the same thing with Abraham Lincoln. Mm. I mean, Lincoln's story, I was speaking to one of his biographers the other week, Lincoln's story is one of the great American stories. It doesn't matter what your politics are. It's a story of somebody coming from absolutely nothing. Yeah and becoming the president. Mm. You know, uh, um, he probably, Lincoln probably had one year of education mm. and he was being brought up. And he was basically brought up in the Iron Age. In the middle of Illinois, he, nowhere. Yeah. They had nothing. Mm. Um, and he not only goes on to become president, but one of the greatest presidents America's ever had. And this used to be cause to celebrate him. And now, and I've seen it myself in American cities, the, the Lincoln statues get torn down, either by the mob, um, as in the case in, say, Portland, or mm. in other cities, by the authorities who say this isn't a person we want to revere anymore. These are, these are values we don't recognize. In New York, when the city council chamber voted to take out the statue of Thomas Jefferson, mm. some obese idiot on the council said, he doesn't reflect our modern values. Great. No shit. You know? He wasn't, he's not alive now. My God. Why the fuck would he reflect our modern values? I know. My God, Thomas Jefferson didn't sense. have the same values that we have in 2022. Like, he, didn't even, me down. he didn't even know algebra, guys. Right. Like, that's how stupid that statement well, is. You know, one of my, one of my favorite points about, about the people who lived in that time and why they had different views on us, there were things they just didn't know. Right. Like, in Thomas Jefferson's day, I make this point in the book, in Thomas Jefferson's day, one of the reasons why what we now would regard as racism existed mm. was because people didn't know that human beings were from the same stock. Right. Like mm. nobody knew that Africans and Europeans were, we're related. Same, yeah. Until actually, I mean, it, it took into technically the 19th, until the 1900s, right? It was, it, until DNA yes. was discovered, but late 19th century people mm. were becoming aware, but this is mm. long after Jefferson's day. Mm. People didn't know we were, we were one <clears throat> human race. And so, right. So, so that anyhow, but this whole this whole thing of attacking the heroes of America in in Britain, it's attacking Churchill mm. because you know if you take out these seminal figures, you've basically left us without heroes. Right. What's the result of that? We have new heroes forced upon us, <laughs> and we've got oh. to sell it. And, and it's so pathetic because it's so transparent. Mm. It's you know you've got the god of I don't know like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, mm. and it's like. Fine, like admirable woman. Mm. I, I'm delighted. I like her too. Yeah, but <laughs> right? I'm not gonna like make her an identity. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh, um. I know. Like a, a, a few civil rights activists. Like, yeah, sure. Mm. But they're adding to a nation, hugely mm. adding to a nation. But you can't make them the nation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mm. can't make. Wasn't Amanda Gorman? Mm. You know, who read the, that? The young poet. Woman yeah. from the Super Bowl, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from the inauguration. Oh, it was like, the inauguration. Read right. that like 
She did something at the Super Bowl, didn't she? Yeah, she got booked to the Super Bowl after the inauguration. Knew it. Uh, I was I sorry, we we did our wow. hard seltzer launch at the Super Bowl and I was blacked out by halftime, so I have no idea what the fuck happened. <laughs> I just kinda casually remember her getting booked for that. Well I can say is that it would be better to black out before she started doing some of her poetry <laughs> because <laughs> the um, my point is is like there's this banal ethic, which actually I don't want to beat up on this poor girl, but I mean mm. like what she was saying at the inauguration was the new ethic of America, mm. which is this weird, like, flimsy diversity mm. um, thing. And it just seems weak, very weak to me. And by the way, I think that has consequences. I don't know if you saw that poll the other week uh, asking Americans if if America was invaded in the same way that Ukraine was invaded right. by, you know, a country with tanks and so mm. on, would you stay and fight for your country? And it was pretty much 50-50 in America. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was 78% of people who were Democrats would not, I think. That's is, right. Which yeah. is a weird thing to admit to, to I be know. honest. That's the other thing. Is that when that poll came out, like what a, a significant, like almost half of Americans would, including a third mm. of Republicans, I think, said yeah. they wouldn't fight for their country. They wouldn't stay and fight. They'd like flee to Canada, assuming it wasn't Canada who'd invaded. <laughs> you, you, um, you think, well, that's what you said to a pollster. Most people say to pollsters what they think the pollster Wanna might hear, yeah. think makes oh, them yeah, look yeah. good. Yeah. So the actual figure might well be higher than that. Like, when people were saying, and there was a little bit of it, it's like, how on earth did this happen? Like, this is one way it happens. Mm. If you say your nation's total shit, and it has been from the beginning, mm. and the majority in it are shits, like, oh, and then at the end of that, why wouldn't you give your life for that? Yeah, yeah, right. That's not a very good value proposition, is it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're talking about losing stories. I mean, a lot of these stories are about... Uh, nuance and how to deal with challenges, right? It's like almost like biblical parables. When you look at these stories, you can divorce yourself from the from the circumstances of the time and maybe even the character of the person involved, but you can learn lessons from people that made good decisions under a lot of fucking oh, yeah. stress. Like John Adams. So To Kill a Mockingbird, I've always thought, was kind of based on John Adams. Hmm. You know, at the... Uh, Fuck, what was the Lexington, not, what was the, not Lexington Concord, it's pre-war, before the Revolutionary War, um, sorry about that, by the way. Uh, when he was defending the yeah. Redcoats and yeah. on so trial for the Boston Massacre? There's a name for that. The Boston Massacre? Boston Massacre, yes. Oh, so yes. Yeah, yeah. Redcoats are lined up, Sons of Liberty provoked them into shooting in the crowd. Right. John Adams decides to defend the English soldier, right. Right, the sergeant and all of his men. And I've always thought that To Kill a Mockingbird was kind of loosely based on that. Um, that is a really good fucking story. It yes. means principles matter yeah, than yeah, prejudice. Yeah. Principles over prejudice is a story that it, 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 you, can, and you can wedge that into any time in human history, right? right? Even right. into the future, and that's going to be a salient thing. And when you remove that away, that's a big problem, I, right? I, I agree. And you, I think one of the things that a lot of people in America haven't realized yet is that this is going on under their feet mm. and has been and that it's been going on at a much deeper level than they realize. Well, it's probably frightening to admit. Americans are, um, have become pretty intellectually lazy in a lot of ways. Well, I think, most people are. I mean, yeah. it's, not, it's not just an American thing. Well, certainly not, but I think Americans have experienced comfort for so long that the, oh, yeah. I, the idea of discomfort is, like, that's a negative. Like, dis- discomfort isn't negative. Most of the time, it's either a signal that something's wrong or it's a signal that you're getting better at something, right? Yeah, you, well, Americans, to make a horrible generalization, 
Americans haven't actually looked over the edge of the cliff yeah. for a long time. Yeah. I mean, arguably, in some ways, arguably since the founding, you could say. Maybe, Although at least since the Civil War. To some, to some degree, maybe during the Cold War for individuals, That's, maybe, but yeah, definitely were not aware as a country. Of it, but you didn't, I mean, America hasn't suffered what, for instance, I don't know, Belgium suffered right. in just great cities just being wiped out. Yeah. And never rebuilt. Or even or the Blitzkrieg. Like, like yeah, we, we have no concept of anything like that. It's 9-11. Yes. That's pretty much... Yeah, some, uh, an American friend of mine in London, came to London a few years ago. I was living there. And, and remark, we're talking something about the architecture of the place. I, I said, well, you, know, you have to realize that one of the reasons why like, all these bits of the city have great, ugly mm. replacement teeth in them mm-hmm. is because this, is, this was just night after night bombing. And we never replaced those mm. buildings with anything other than kind of things that we just rushed up right. after the war when there was no money. Every European, every British person has reminders all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have towns like Coventry that were great mm-hmm. towns that were totally flattened in the yeah. bits. And, so, and also 40,000, 45,000 people died, right? Yes. Like oh, America has oh, not experienced anything like that Oh, before. and I mean, to, to nightly, and I, I, obviously I grew up with these stories, mm. to, to nightly have to go to the basement of your right. house or, or, or hide under the kitchen table or mm. whatever, um, every single night. And, you know, and after a big raid, um, there, was, there was one I remember somebody telling me that the, the, the dust didn't settle back over London for three days, you know. And that was commonplace. And so America, America has not, Americans haven't been reminded of their mortality mm-hmm. in a way for a very long time. And, and it's very, very lucky. But one of the things I always try to bring across, particularly to American students, is that's not normal. Right, yeah. Like, that is not normal in the world today, and it isn't normal historically at all. It's incredibly unusual. You're mm. very, very lucky. Yeah. And one of the things you see then is, is like, and that's why just going back to those things like the trans madness mm. and all this sort of stuff is like, I constantly want to say, like, don't screw up something at this stage. Mm. Like, don't moan at, at, like, at the last point of rights acquisitions. Mm. Don't pretend you're living in hell. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just because you haven't got absolutely everything you want and everyone else hasn't got you know there's that kind of leftist thing of like no one is is free until everyone is free or no one is there's that kind of riffing Mm. on like until everybody has all of their rights i will not stop and again right well you know recognize to begin with you're not in a bad place You know, it's you still you still have won the lottery of life to be born in America in the twenty yeah. first century. I, there's there's also a psychological impact of being in a good situation, and by force of social pressure or conditioning or whatever it is, being under, I guess, the spell of constantly trying to find something wrong. Like we know people like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. People it's who want to be oppressed. Misers. They're 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 not. Fun to be around. The people who frankly. want to be oppressed are yeah. very, very commonplace. Mm. Everyone's. I, I think that's one of the reasons why people go for the kind of non-binary crap is is like they or like queer and things. It's mm. like basically they've they've not got enough oppression. They want some. Right. And, well, you have to make it like uh, something that isn't uh, uh, super structured. So there's no way to it. It's an unfalsifiable situation. Well, unfortunately, that's the case with mental health to a great extent Mm. as well. um, Some people are wickedly wielding it as a kind of way to win. Like the uh, 
the young tennis player. Oh, what's, yeah. What's yeah. her name? Naomi Osaka. Yeah, Na- Naomi Osaka. Yeah. Um, and who was then who was then made like sportswoman of the year or something. Like the thing that we respect, the thing that we respect about people who go through great hardship is the manner and grace in which they overcome the hardship. Not the fact that they gave up. And that they overcame it. Yes. Honestly, it even gets uh, in minor ways like Carl Anthony Towns last night. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? Just the basketball player last night. He just kind of like took the night off. And then after the game, when I say took the night off, meaning he was very lazy on the court. Uh, and after the game had everyone else to blame. And that's not really somebody that you can... It's not somebody you can deal with. Like a person that refuses to accept responsibility for their own actions, that's not somebody that I care to, to deal with. Well, Because like, how do you? You know what I mean? Uh, one of the absolutely central things, this is this um, bugbear I have about the mm-hmm. American ethic turning from admiration of heroism to admiration of victimhood. I hate that. Uh, it didn't have to happen, but but, uh, um, but uh, like, this is, this is an example of it. it like, it's very malicious too. Like, there's no good reason to do that. There's no good reason to amplify people's uh, weakness. No, you know what I mean. Well, That's, no, because also because it's contagious. Yeah, among much else, it's contagious. Heroism is contagious. Um, a very, as you know, mm-hmm. a very brave like, company commander demonstrating bravery yep. will have a very brave company. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> a company commander. Who's found, you know, crying and saying, I don't know if I have the resilience mm-hmm. to get through this, is going to have that replicated among the men who he's meant to be inspiring. And that's why I have, I actually have, a, I mean, among many of my views and feelings which run against the age, mm. this is one of the strongest, is I just, I do not believe that we should have an infinite amount of time for people grousing about their ill luck. Right, yeah. Like, yeah. a certain amount of time mm. for people in certain very unlucky positions right. who could be helped and want to be helped, mm. but not endlessly. Like, I will not endlessly hear a Duke and Duchess telling me about their ill fortune. <laughs> I, I will not have somebody born a prince oh, man. endlessly telling me about the fact that he's unhappy. I, I don't know. There's too much unhappiness in the world. There's quite enough unhappiness. Right. You've just added to it by a millimeter. Yeah. And you could have shut up and do you, do you think done something from uh, their perspective or any patrician or celebrity rich person's perspective that, that they feel like they're trying to... Uh, associate not an associate that's not the right word uh trying to make it seem like they're just a regular person and i don't mean that yes. in a negative no, way no no no, i way. agree of course of course it's that well privilege is one of the great s- sins of our age <laughs> and among other things everybody who's white is meant to have it which is not observably the case right so showing that you're a little bit damaged as your defense attorney in the privilege court of law absolutely I guess. showing that you've suffered is if you, if you are unfortunate enough to have been born white, unfortunate enough to have been born male, unfortunately enough to have been born straight and heterosexual, mm. then, then what else have you got in the armory other than right. um, I've been prejudiced against or I'm feeling mm-hmm. sad or I'm depressed or I'm mentally ill or I've suffered PTSD or, right. or the various other things that are thrown out there. 
Um, by the way, I mean, sorry, a little side note on that. There's certain types of mental illness that people mm. like to say they have. And you'll notice there are ones that they don't. And the ones they don't are the ones that are really serious. Yeah. yeah. Like nobody wants to be thought of as a schizophrenic. Right, yeah. You know, because nobody yeah, yeah. wants to date somebody who's a yeah. schizophrenic. Or P- I, I, um, bipolar is one that's a little. Well, yeah, because it well. exists. Mm. And. And then there are, and it's a, it's a terrible thing, and people have to be looked after. But you also cannot have people like boasting that they think they're bipolar, or self-diagnosing. Or then right. you get the one with PTSD of people saying certified PTSD. Oh gosh, you've got a certificate, you <laughs> lucky winner! You you got a parade with that too. And huh? I, so, so, but 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 the point is is, is that this this um, this has to be pushed back against, and I'm afraid it, it's quite. It's quite an unpopular thing because any time you do it, it looks harsh. But you have to. I, mean, I, have, I have a friend who spent a lot of his career as a prison doctor, mm. and he has a lot of amazing stories of, of the inmates he used to work with. And one of my absolute favorites was he said that, and I think this applies outside of prisons, mm. Um, he said that quite often prisoners would come to him and say, um, you know, Doc, I think I need, um, I need some pills of some kind because yeah. i'm i think i'm depressed yeah. you know something sort of and um and he would say well, no, what, what what do you you know mm. why do you think you're depressed and 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 quite often what they said one, one man in particular said well I, I i think i'm suffering from low self-esteem and my friend said to him well that's one thing you've got right <laughs> and, <laughs> that's good and that's um good. and the prisoner yeah. actually laughed yeah and he said this always happened. Mm. The prisoners laughed because for the first time someone in the system had caught them out. Right. Yes, you may well have low self-esteem. Mm. The thing is, you should have low self-esteem because you're yeah. in prison for throwing acid in your girlfriend's face. Yeah, yeah, like, no shit. Um, you're not depressed. Right. Or if you are, you're depressed for a good reason. Well, yeah, And I the mean, universe yeah. does not owe you a solution to that no. reason. And it sh- we shouldn't medicalize you out of feeling right. guilt for your crime. Certainly not. So, like, I mean, that, so, that kind of defeats the purpose, right? Right. So in the, and in the wider world, we have to be very careful mm. of this. Um, and we have to reacquaint ourselves with the idea that life involves a certain amount of suffering mm. as well as a certain amount of pleasure. And you have to hope you get your ratios right. Mm. But you can't endlessly avoid bad things. And, you know, one of the reasons for a form of stoicism is, again, there's quite enough unhappiness in the world. Mm. There's, we could all moan. Mm. And not moaning uh, uh, when you don't absolutely have to mm. means you've just saved people from depressing them all a little bit more. Uh, if you think about it as a contribution or... De- uh, or uh, uh, a credit or a debit, I guess, in the pool of human psychology. Yes. That's a good way to think about yes. it. Yeah. I, and don't, don't unnecessarily demoralize other people. Mm. Um, I mean, maybe tell, wait until you've got the solution and tell the whole story. Well, that's you know a I mean? good idea. Yeah. Definitely. If you can say, say well, look, this is what, what happened to me, mm. and this is how I got through it, and you could too. That's, like, that's a, that's a yeah. reasonable story, but not... I'm just stuck in this horrible situation. Mm. I don't know what to do, and I'm going to moan about it. Yeah. Back to the book. I want to talk about some of this. A lot, I mean, I, I, honestly, I could have an entire conversation about the madness of crowds. Mm. and the, I think uh, there's four sections, but there probably could have been more, right? In the war in the West. Uh, no, 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 in, in the in madness, madness of crowds, yeah. 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 I mean, there, there's just so many different angles from 
which you could address the same problem. But I think the the West has been an exporter of culture for a very long time. Yes. Right. I mean, there's quite a few countries, very successful countries right now, whose system of government is based largely on English common law, right? For sure. And the ideas that from the Magna Carta forward were kind of mm-hmm. incubated there. Yeah. Uh, They're still the countries where people want to buy properties. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, it's. I, I think it's... English common law is one of the first like organically developed ideas about humanity that 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 seem to at least have the intent if not the result of treating prince and pauper the same right that was yes. kind of a big deal equality in the eyes of the law right um, absolutely crucial very unusual very historically over very the course unusual. of human history yeah um there seems to be no room in the conversation to acknowledge the accomplishments or the benefits of Western imperialism anymore. It's something you touch on quite a bit in the book. Yes, because, well, because, again, it's a, like there are downsides and there are plus sides, mm-hmm. and no one wants to do the maths because nobody knows how, how, quite how they do it. Right. Um, and God forbid you come up with the wrong answer to yes, that, to that I mean, equation, right? Well, I mean, so we're, we're very interested in countries which post-colonial, uh, con- post-colonial countries that failed. Right. We don't seem to be very interested in post-colonial countries that succeeded, mm. Singapore, say, mm. Hong Kong until very recently. Um, uh, and, I mean, you didn't hear people in these places moaning about the colonial era. Right. Because things were going well. Yeah. Um, well, it used to be that people who were suffering didn't moan that much. They tried to find a way to solve their suffering. Right. And in the case of post-colonial countries in, say, Africa, um, everybody, everybody knows that... Take any African country that has not done well since colonialism. Mm. Uh, oh, by the way, most of which are currently enmeshed in a new form of colonialism, which is mm. Chinese colonialism, and no one really talks about that because we're so interested about talking about the 18th century. Um, but these, uh, these societies, you know, the, the colonialism was a great excuse which dictators and military leaders used to I- excuse them robbing their societies of their wealth mm. and putting them in bank accounts in Geneva. Right. And um, so you, do, you, you definitely do need to have an honest uh, look at what colonialism was and wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, um, but here's the thing. I mean, I, I concentrate, as you know, on, the, on colonialism and, and uh, slavery right. at different points in this book because these are now used uh, as the main... Uh, bats to mm. beat the West and to beat Western peoples right. is to say you were guilty of slavery, you were guilty of colonialism, you, you are therefore guilty forever. And right. one of the things I say in the war on the West is, first of all, you've got to get some damn context. Uh, like how a, many people went East versus West? Right. right. I mean, that's a great one that I go into in the issue of slavery. Mm. So about like maybe 11 million poor souls were taken across the Atlantic in the transatlantic slave right. trade in total. Um, about another... That that number with another half, about, right. about 18 to, yeah. million, yeah. 16 to 18 million, were, were taken uh, east. Right. They, was, they were stolen in Africa mm-hmm. by other Africans, as they were with the ones brought across to America. And this is the Muslim slave and trade, th- right? This is the Muslim slave yeah. trade. The, the Arab slave trade mm. went on a lot longer and was actually a genocidal slave trade. The transatlantic slave right. trade, nothing good to be said about it, mm. but it was not genocidal. 
people they wanted to get the slaves across the Atlantic alive right. in order to to then you know work them and you know and, and, and I mean obviously just a terrible tr- terrible thing to do mm. every society in history had used slavery up till that point the arab slave trade of africans being taken to the arab countries we don't know about today among other things because every single male african was castrated mm. so there would be no more black africans right. in the arab countries and and I think if we see, like, at random sees the Americans off the street and ask mm. them, not one in a million no, would, no know one would know this no. fact. Same thing with colonialism. Right. Uh, yes, the British Empire went on for a very long time, did undoubtedly extend itself to many countries across the globe, was very proud of it at the time, and now we have a rather more mixed view of it. Mm. But colonialism was very common in the past. It was regarded as being very normal, Mm -hmm. that if you were stronger than your neighbor, you rolled on into your neighbor Mm -hmm. and you took them over. And once people discovered the rest of the world, you did that there. Here's the thing. What should our attitude be towards that? Mm -hmm. Um, We have been told in this generation that our attitude has to be one of unbelievable guilt Mm -hmm which we are born with, if you happen to be born white as mm-hmm. well, which is why I go into this sort of weird war on white people at the beginning of the book, um, we're told that we're meant to be born guilty and that we can never get rid of that guilt, whatever we do. Right, but so th- that, the, that's just like the foundational premise of the I always have to be an activist mindset though, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the mechanism that makes that work in somebody's life. And so but, that's the way they feel. Here's the thing. I mean, it, it will make them have totally thwarted lives. Right. Because if you, are, if you are told there is nothing good about your people, mm-hmm. I mean, like, first of all, who the hell? We, none of us have a choice as to how we're born. It's, it's right. no, nobody asked us. So it's, it's not my fault. Anything that anyone looked like me did in history. Um, and by the way, I mean, it has to be said, I have zero guilt for colonialism. I have zero guilt for slavery. I don't see why any American alive should feel any guilt for these things because they didn't do them themselves. Mm. They should have a reasonable attitude towards the American past, which includes this as part of it and includes great things that America did as well. But there's no reason why somebody born in the 21st century should feel or be told to feel some hereditary guilt for something they didn't do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unkind, it's unfair. And it's, a total waste of time as and well. And a total waste of time. But like we, we, we don't get to solving the issues that persist if we're focused on that at all. Well, I mean, one of my favorite stats is that there are 40 million slaves in the world today, estimated. Oh, yeah. 40 million in the world today, which is more than there were in the early 19th century. Yeah, there's 8 million in India, 3.9 million in China, including 1,400 active Uyghur Muslim and, concentration camps. You know, and a- across in Sudan and elsewhere. In Pakistan, Africa, North Korea, Nigeria, Iran, it, Indonesia, Sudan, uh, Congo, and the Philippines, actually, right. with almost a million slaves in the Philippines. You know... This is going on now. Mm. What if we spent any of our energies on this? Well, you see, even to make that point is to invite people to say, ah, you're just trying to get away with your own crimes. They're not my My crimes. I didn't do them. You're asking me to assume guilt upon myself for something I didn't do. And here's the Mm. thing. When people are told to do this, they're being told to do it for a very specific reason, which is 
Therefore, you will achieve nothing in your life mm. because your main point should be to spend your life cringing, to spend your life apologizing, to be humble for things because of something you had no involvement in. Mm. The end result people from that, of course, are these like begging supplicants who 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 say whatever they're told to say because they want to get through the era. It's, it's, it, is, it is one of the best ways to make sure you don't produce people who achieve something, who do heroic things, who are exemplary, right. who other people <clears throat> want to follow, who will be remembered, and much more. It, it is exactly the opposite. Do you think it's revenge or... The whole damn thing is revenge. Certainly, there's always going to be that element to it, but do you think it's more revenge or more like a coordinated attempt to wipe out the culture in the future? Or, or are those two things even different in this they're context? They're the same thing. They're the same thing. Revenge is the main driver. What we, what we hear in our age called justice mm-hmm. is very substantially just revenge. Right, yeah, yeah. All I'm calling for is justice, people say. No. Very often what they're calling for is revenge. Mm-hmm. You know? They talk about anti-racism. They seem to be very racist. Right. Just against white people. Yeah, we're resegregating they, everything. Yes, as well. In the name of has, anti-racism, which has like such a, a and w- w- whenever these uh, insane policies have the negative effect, like the gun crime issue in America is mostly a black issue, and I sure. don't, I don't mean that uh, uh, it's their all their fault. What I'm saying is they are the biggest victims, biggest mm-hmm. like sure. most victims of gun Say crimes it. are black people. That's and pretending like it's something else means you're not solving that problem. And it's well, the same thing that happened with mandates in yes. New York and other places. They effectively excluded like 65 or so percent of black people from public life. Yes, that's right. With a yeah. stroke of a pen. Absolutely. Not even law, but regulation, which is a, a big difference. But you know, the, um, the, 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 the thing is, if you come up with this one explanation for everything, mm. like if you come up with this one explanation, everything is about racism, then when you look at gun crime statistics or mm. knife crime statistics or whatever it is, um, you've got to say, well, it must be because of racism. <laughs> well, no. H- how is one young black man killing another black person to do with racism? Right. Um, it's, it's, it's a multidimensional problem. I mean, it's, it's likely to be a lot of things that have added to it. But unfortunately, in our era, this has become the one explanation for everything. Right. And it's totally unfit for purpose. Well, it's also, it's also untrue. It's put us in a death spiral now because now we're making... Mm-hmm policy without settled science sure we're, we're making long-term policy on unsettled science or on obfuscated truths right right that's that's the kind of thing that like it's it's one thing to have these blips it's 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 another thing entirely to have the institution become that oh right. you mean w- w- when when they end up imbibing their own virus right so, yes yeah oh i mean almost every cultural institution has has mm-hmm. done that most government entities have done that the moment when you see I, mean, I mentioned it in the book but the moment when you see the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff actually saying in front of congress that he wants to look into white rage yeah like this is not a fringe thing no this is this not. is this is gone all the way up to the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff and one of the lessons we have to take from this is even the adults have abandoned the scene. Right. And uh, what do you do about that? 
you make better adults. Right, yeah, yeah. You replace but, them with better adults. But you that's, replace them with people who say, I'm sorry, you keep pathologizing whiteness. There's nothing inherently wrong with being white, as there's nothing inherently wrong with being black. Right. It's just a thing. And so don't pathologize it and come up with things like white rage because you wouldn't have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff a week after a somebody had invented the phrase black rage saying yeah i'm gonna i'm really interested in looking into this thing called (laughs) black rage don't do it to anybody and um and the fact that our that you know senior figures in in america are willing to imbibe this and repeat it and play with it like seconds after it's entered the, Mm. the public discourse from some fringe weirdo academic it is terrifying the, the, the line of defense in America turns out to be much, much thinner than we mm. thought. You know, there, were, there, there are far fewer adults than we hoped. Right. And I like, uh, I, I say this on the show a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of Hanlon's Razor because I think just mm. assuming everything is a conspiracy is intellectually lazy, right? Sure. Uh, but, you know, when you see coordinated efforts to attack all of the institutions that protect us, right, from our stories, right, which give us something to fight for, yeah. I guess, to police and the military and masculinity at large, yes, then that seems like a very coordinated effort. I mean, from I, I've planned quite a few uh, military operations in my day, and the way it's the way people have gone about it first capturing academia, right? Yes. So you yeah, can, yeah. you have a constant source, like you're cranking out new woke people yeah. at a good new rate. New automator. Right. And then you, uh, uh, you move to, you move on people who are older using social and economic pressure. Yep. And yep. then you go back for the kids to make sure right. it's a completely sustainable system forever. That's the very that's, good way. That's of, kind of how yeah. it seems to me. And I, that's fucked. Yes, because the older people, I mean, that, that's the thing that the older people have given in because they, they're told this is the new world. Yeah. And this is what you've got to um, nod along to if you're going to enjoy your last few right. years. And it used to be an important part of getting older to learn that maybe the way you used to do things isn't appropriate anymore. Well, yes, but... But it, progress but, for its own sake is not progress. Yeah, there's also a role, there's a role for older people to tell you to shut up yeah. and get your shit yeah. together. <laughs> I, that's also a role. Yeah, for sure. That um, doesn't happen anymore. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, the, uh, although there was one, there was one senator, I mean, was it Diane Feinstein? There was, some, there was one senator, not in the finest fettle at the moment, but there was one senator a little while ago, I remember being lectured by some kids in her office who actually said, no, you don't know what you're talking about, mm. you're wrong. And I remember when I saw it, I said, thank God for that. Mm. Um, you know, don't forget, you know, we are in a world where the Swedish schoolgirl truant mm-hmm. is invited to lecture every government. Why? Uh, What's her expertise? That's the... What's her expertise in climatology? What's her expertise in economics? You put her in front of every leader in the world and she starts telling us about economic growth. Shut up. Go back to school. Learn something. Earn some respect. And then come back. Yeah. I mean, it's not a good... um, It's not a good advertisement for your cause that the person delivering the message is a child. Honestly. Like, I, I don't believe in this profit... Oh. Young profit nonsense. That is well, absolute nonsense. Uh, question, because people always criticize you if you even criticize Greta Thunberg. They say mm. you're beating up on a schoolgirl. Actually, she's not a schoolgirl anymore, I think. She's now. Yeah, she's 18. Of, she's actually right. uh, the same age as uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, I believe. They, they may share, yeah, they may share a birthday. A I good, think I saw a meme about them sharing a birthday. That's a very good comparison. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 
I, I, when she first came on the scene, I, I wanted. I, I, I said uh, in a piece somewhere, I said, I said I wanted to create an equally good construct from the other side. Like, <laughs> what's the deal here? Let's say like Greta Thunberg yeah. with a with a goatee, like an old Star Trek. Well, I thought because, because obviously the <laughs> obviously the the perfection of the creation was a young girl, autism, mm. um, uh, and um, uh, what else? Swedish. Um, let's say I find a Danish boy with Asperger's who's yeah. two years younger than her who loves fossil fuels. Yeah, he's like a big natural gas fan. <laughs> Just massive on fracking. That uh, would be like, funny. Does, does, does that win? I mean, he would win on Twitter for sure until they <laughs> inevitably banned him, I but, suppose. But, but as yeah. I say, the, the problem is, is that is, is, the problem is not young people saying crazy stuff or doing crazy stuff. It doesn't matter. Mm. Uh, that always happens and some of it's for good reason and some of it isn't. The problem is adults continuously giving in right and when you see things like and it's one of the things i mentioned the war in the west when you see the the whiplash we all got in 2020 mm. when you're told stay home protect your health service mm. don't kill your granny yeah yeah and the like most you're... important thing is this that you isolate yourself and don't leave your house and yeah. then like that, the most important thing is anti-racism. That's why you've got to congregate by the thousands and pack yourselves into right. the streets. That was like, right, but, now but, I know what you're doing. But public health officials in the United States went on major news media programs and said, this is more important than COVID. Yes, hundreds of healthcare professionals Very in the bizarre. US signed a letter <laughs> saying racism is the real pandemic. <laughs> okay, well, you've just got us to isolate and lock ourselves in our houses for one pandemic. This one's one we have to turn out of the streets for. Right. Do keep giving us our instructions. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, I, I'm it's not very surprised bizarre. that people are becoming crazy about this. Well, do you think, you know? like, is it, it's, it's got to be odd... Uh, for somebody, you've been involved in politics for a, a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got to be odd to go, and it, it is for me as well, from the 90s where it was, uh, fuck you, don't do what they tell you, to now it's like, fuck you, you better do what they told you. That, sure. it's, it usually is supposed to not happen like that, right? I mean, it, did that, yeah. it, yeah. in the process for which social change happens, uh, I don't know how much time you spent in the u.s in the early like in the 2000s yeah the but i was part. here a couple times a year right yeah. so uh marriage equality gay rights in general were it was a i think kind of started in the late 90s like a yeah, real did, a, yeah. a, a real yeah, push 90s. for that here and it took time and mm -hmm. the and the way that it happened was in my opinion that people it happened organically. More people started to uh, publicly identify themselves. Mm -hmm. And as such, as aspirational marketing happens, other mm -hmm. people started to do it. And people began to realize that their friends and family were gay. Sure. And it, like, that was the single biggest change. Yeah. So they had like this whole 30, 40 year history, 20 maybe history mm. with this person, knowing that they're a good, mm. normal person. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, actually, I'm gay. Like, oh, so that's not a factor in whether or not you're a good person or not. Right. Got it. Let's move yeah, yeah. on with our lives. And by 2010, that issue was pretty much over, right? Yeah. Except for that, that's effective social change kind of happens like that, right? Yes, um, it's one of the ways in which it happens, mm. uh, and it's a very effective mm. example. Um, just realizing that uh, people are like you. I mean, that's how that's how um, 
uh, racist attitudes of the past to start sure. to evaporate as well yeah. was um, Jackie inter- Robinson, Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, and and, and good speakers. Like intermarriage yeah. goes up year on year. Yeah. Um, the 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 numbers of people who say that they wouldn't want a relative to marry somebody of the, not the same race, you mm. know, che- you know, declines all the time. Um, all the factors are there for like a positive post-racial future mm-hmm. unless you allow anti-Western, anti-white race hucksters to, to seize the discourse, mm. demoralize everybody apart from the people who, you know, are bad actors mm-hmm. like them. And um, th- th- that's why that has to be seized because these people have actually diverted the course of the river. Right. Th- th- there was a positive social change that had been happening. Again, people always say, well, Douglas, if you say this, you're ignoring this. I'm not ignoring anything that happened before. Mm. I'm saying that, broadly speaking, it seems to me um, unarguable that everything was going in a good-ish direction. Mm. To the extent that, in 2022, we know the names of every single unarmed black person <laughs> killed by police. You don't have to, like, say her mm. name. Everybody knows the names yeah, yeah. of the people shot in highly contested situations mm. in America. Right. So it's not a secret of some kind. Right. But, but I this- mean, how rare it is is kind of a secret. Right. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's nine or ten typically in any given year. I say in the book that that, that if you look at the misap- misunderstanding mm. Americans now have about their society, the, yes, you're right. Nine or ten a year. It was yeah. six, I think, in 2021. Yeah. Unarmed black people shot mm. by the police. Six too many, but six. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. You you look at the um you look at the opinion polling that of what Americans think the numbers are. People who identify as liberal in America, in one poll I, go, I look at, th- a significant chunk of self-identified liberals think that between 1,000 and 10,000 unarmed mm. black people are killed by the American police every year. Among people who identify as very liberal, a significant chunk think the number is over 10,000. I'm like, so how, there's something wrong in the perception. How can you be, I mean, is there, I, 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 would, I, I need to look into this. Is there any other facet of life where people are literally 1,000 orders of magnitude off from what reality right. is? It's very uncommon. I mean, to that's... be off by this number, as you said, this number of orders of magnitude is very uncommon. Americans have been force-fed mm. a false view of their own reality. Yeah. That is, that is a wicked thing to do. It is. That's why I don't, like, I never really seriously entertained any of the voting irregularity stuff from mm-hmm. 2020 because my opinion is... Uh, that you don't have to hack a voting machine if you can hack someone's fucking brain. Right. Like, why go to the trouble? There's Very no paper point. trail for hacking someone's brain. Right. There's, no, there's actually no crime actually having been committed so, at that point. And, and so here's the thing. As you say, I mean, it's kind of like spills out of colleges and things. And then, as Andrew Sullivan famously said, you know, we all live on campus now. Yeah. Um, and, and, but here's the thing. This was done by, as you say, hacking people's brains one by one. Mm-hmm. By... Kids being sent off to college and coming out stupider than when they went in by being persuaded to run up debt mm. to be indoctrinated into a very facile idea of politics mm. and meaning and purpose in life. So here's my suggestion. That worked very, very well. Mm. And as you say, person by person, kids going back home, telling their parents lies about their country and telling right. their parents they don't know the well, truth about their country. Well, well, here's the thing. Well, actually, it, anyway, dot, dot, dot. Exactly. Whatever. So here's the thing. 
If that was possible that way round, mm. it's possible to correct it as well. Right. It is perfectly possible. It's one of the reasons why I believe, like, one of my self-appointed tasks in a book like this is to try to arm people with the facts. Mm. Arm people with facts they can use. Like what we were mentioning earlier mm. about the slave trade. Like have that fact to hand mm. when you're in an argument with somebody who believes that only Americans ever have to bear historical guilt for slavery. Right, sure, yeah. When you're talking about... Um, you know, police interactions with the black community. Mm. Like, ha- have some of the facts. To, you don't have to remember all the figures. You don't have to trick them all off. You should know the basic arguments mm. on this. Arm yourselves with the facts you're going to need to go back out there and persuade whether it's your kids, whether it's your parents, and if for some people it'll be their parents, whoever it is, to persuade them that the reality they are being told mm. is true is not true, and that they have very good reason purpose and justification in feeling good about their country right. not everything about their country but who does need to think good about everything about their country right. but broadly speaking to realize what you've got here is good it's worth defending it's worth keeping on with you say uh if the west is to survive it must be defended yes but i i'm not 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 to say that's reductive or anything but it's not just the west that's being defended it's just uh common sense and rationality and the Socratic method, right? That's oh, yeah. being defended. Oh, yeah. I mean, as, like as, the uh, rules, of the, 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 the attempt being made is to change the rules of the game. Right? Yes. That's, it's, that's it's, what it it's is. like somebody announcing that the game you're playing is going to fundamentally change. The nets are going to be pulled down mm. and they are not only a, participate, a participant and a player, but also the umpire. Yeah. They also <laughs> get to make the rules whenever they want. No. Mm. They do not have that right. right. You don't have that right to do that in a society. You don't get to decide what the game all of us thought we were playing is going to be mm. a different game. One of the huxters I attack in this book and read so that other people don't mm. have to is an awful uh, woman called Robin D'Angelo, mm. who's, and white, who's a white... White fragility. The author yeah. of White Fragility. I always call her the Miss Whiplash of anti-racism. <laughs> she, she gets paid by people to, to smack them on the backside yeah. and tell them how naughty and bad they are. Um, uh, Robin D'Angelo uh, 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 and these these people um, tell white people that there is nothing good about being white and they cannot escape whiteness. I was mm. like, that is a wicked thing to do. And I read her and realized the errors of her thinking so that other people don't have to. But everybody should know what these people are up to. They are they have been indoctrinating young Americans mm-hmm. and they've got away with it for far too long. There's no reason why these people should have had such a free reign. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of fell asleep at the wheel. So there's, we, oh, yeah. we bear a lot of responsibility for what's going on. Well, right we didn't now. see what was coming because yeah. like, it seems so horrific, but like who would have believed you if you'd said in 2021, this mad female academic would give an, a lecture at Yale mm. where she talked about her fantasies of shooting white people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, um, with a revolver, I believe. With a revolver, yeah. like, okay, that's a lecture at Yale now, is it? Yeah. We didn't, you know, pe- well, people were too slow in seeing it coming. And they were also worried about it. And obviously, they worried about being called racist. Mm. And it's a horrible thing to be called because, you know, it's, a, it's especially a horrible thing to be called if you're not a racist. Mm. And you just say, well, well, how a, do I get that taint off me? Yeah, the answer an old, is you can't. There's an old aphorism about that. It's like, you don't want to be a guy in interrogation that's telling the truth. Right. You know what I mean? Because you're fucked. Yeah. They're, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. in a place where they're going to torture you. Right. Like you have nothing, no truth to give to stop the torture and th- at that and point. Exa- and these are, I mean, people are being invited to go through struggle sessions mm. now. 
I mean, they are actually struggle sessions in yeah. American workplaces. Yeah. And I give examples. Not just book, American workplaces, like the FBI and shit. The FBI. Ah. I give the example of one of the atomic uh, centers mm. in, in America where the, the white males were made to go on this struggle session it's like, and admit their white privilege. I don't know. I, I, if you're an atomic scientist... I, I just I'm not interested in you no. being put through that. Like, make sure the facility doesn't explode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> make sure we don't have a Chernobyl yeah. in America. Seems reasonable. Um, I mean, who's got time for this crap? I have apart no idea. From anything else? Well, every single agency. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know how. I, I suppose they're not really doing their jobs. That's just but tax it, but, dollars at work. Yeah, that's the yeah. other part of it. Like the indoctrination process, it came for everyone. It's the old poem about I'm yes. not a. Or, uh, they came for the, first. They came for the socialists. Yes, and we've been sitting around, uh, either afraid or unconcerned with our neighbor. If if I, I think if your uh, constitution, personal constitution, is such that someone has to be liked by or familiar to you to defend them, then you're a piece of shit, in my opinion. Right? Yeah. yeah like yeah. we don't defend. It, it's not even about defending individuals. It's about defending the idea that is the foundation, right? Right. So, Defending a principle. Yes. Principles are the only thing that really matter. The other point just to make on this is I I distracted myself with my hatred of Robin DiAngelo. But the point I I also wanted to make about that was, you said this this is being done in sectors which they have no right to tamper with. Right. Like, no, you cannot get away with pretending Mm. that mathematics is racist. Right. No, you cannot get away with pretending that the scientific method is racist Mm. or it's racist because it's Western. No, the scientific method has worked because it works. Right. The maths is not successful because it was conjured up by white people, which, by the way, it wasn't entirely by any means. But it's successful because it works, because 2 plus 2 does equal 4. And when when you actually have a a system coming in which is trying to tell you that 2 plus 2 equals 5 because of racism, first of all, have the confidence and the guts to say no. Mm. This is something I know about. And secondly, and going back to what you mentioned Orwell in 1984 Mm. earlier, one of the people who got involved in the attempt to make 2 plus 2 equal 5 is, as I say in the book, says it's, it's... it's mentioned to him that Orwell gives this as an example mm. of what happens in the society which has been totally destroyed and everyone has been brainwashed. Yeah. Um, and this uh, guy says, oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, you bet, you bet your life is unfortunate. Jesus Christ. You bet your life is unfortunate that you ended up being one of the people trying to persuade the society that two plus two equals five, knowing full well that it doesn't, doing right. so because you want to punish Whitey, and finally doing it because you want to demoralize everybody. Mm. Sure, it's unfortunate that you're trying to pump lies into society. Yeah. That's a mistake. Whoops. <sighs> well, I guess that's as good as place. <laughs> good Lord, what a stupid thing to say. Yep. I, wonder, I always wonder if uh, these folks know that this is all just cultural Marxism or if they've got cognitive dissonance about that. Or, They're or, a long way down the river. They don't even need to know the source. Right. I mean, but so you, you do, before we leave, you make the point in the book that a lot of these uh, 
leftist heroes from the past aren't great people either. Like Marx is a notorious racist. Foucault is a child rapist. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, that's not ideal. No. Uh, They tried to destroy every single one of the founding fathers, every single American hero, every Western philosopher and thinker, every artist, everyone who ever created anything, every architect, every city as a product of racism. And much of it is done in the name of Karl Marx, who, as I show in the book, was a vicious racist. Yeah, horrible human being. Now, people say... People have said since it came out, like, defenders of his, like, well, uh, he was a man of his time. Yeah, exactly. Who, exactly. Yeah. Who wasn't? <laughs> who isn't? They say, well, we're not going to Marx for his views on race. We go to his views on economics. Yes, we don't go to Thomas Jefferson for his views on race. Right. We, we admire him for helping found America. Right, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Foucault, you can just throw that right out the window. Foucault, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I can't believe his reputation has survived. These it's very bizarre. Actually, I read, uh, there's an article... I, I think it may have been the Daily Beast that wrote an article about, oh, there's new, it was in 2019, like, oh, we found out he, he may have, you know, done some unseemly things and they kind of dance around it. But should, should that mean that we do away with his work altogether? Like, maybe not. Well, right? my, that's my not, view that's is... A, the point is, maybe not, is the my, answer to that question. Yeah, my view is, um, if the work is, is useful and good, then you would have to make that, you'd have to weigh that up. Right. I, I don't know, like with Michael Jackson or somebody. I mean, mm. you got to weigh up. Like, oh, Henry f- Ford was a notorious anti-Semite, but we all right. have cars now, right? Sure, exactly. So. And you're not going to start walking again yeah. in protest at, at Ford's beliefs. So if it actually takes you somewhere, but where, but when, by the way, as with Marx and Foucault, the thought is rotten and they were yeah. rotten people. Yeah. I don't find that to be a hard one to weigh yeah. up. Those, those two in particular are pretty easy to dismiss. Well, I'd say I like to arm people with the facts on those as well, because when somebody yeah. comes at you with this crap, like know what to throw back in their mm. face. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find yeah, the book. War on the West. Amazon, is that the best place for you? Anywhere, anywhere where books are sold. If you can find a bookshop these days. Are you doing the pre-sale signing copies and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. Or, so that's probably you on your get website. That as well online. Um, uh, Amazon is, is a great offer. Mm. Uh, Audible, by the way. Yeah, that's awesome. So many people uh, listen to books now, which is just fantastic. I I've won't. done the Audible version myself, which I love yeah. doing. And it's, it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's very British. It's, like, I enjoy it. So, uh, Chris and I like to joke that he's like British light and you're the full on Brit. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, you're, you're just a little more posh, I guess, than he yeah, is. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Uh, and yeah. it's. It's, uh, I enjoyed the audiobook very much. Thanks for sending that over. Oh, um, that's great. Yeah, so go buy the book, War on the West. I know all of you have read The Madness of Crowds already because I won't shut the fuck up about it, but I uh, appreciate you coming today. This okay. has been great. It's uh, a great pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Yeah, and you. Thanks.